The scripture reading this morning is from the book of Mark, chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time was fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their net and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat, and the hired servants, and followed him. This is the word of God. I think I'm on. <clears throat> Before we get started this morning and, and start talking about this passage and what it means, uh, let's commit this time um, to the Lord in prayer and look to him as we look to his word. Father in heaven, we're so grateful that you've given us your word as a guide, as promises to us. We're thankful for the sending of Jesus, our King and our Savior. We're thankful for the promises that he gives us, the things he provides, the victories he's won. We're thankful for the invitation that he's, he's given to us to follow and even to participate in the work that he's doing. And so we look to you and your word this morning and ask that, that you'd write it upon our hearts, give us a fresh passion and, and vision for what you're teaching us. We pray that you would work Um, through us as weak vessels, um, in a way only a powerful God can. And we're grateful that we can pray these things with great confidence in Christ our Savior. Amen. So last month at our Redemption Church Christmas party, uh, one of the big highlights was a slideshow and some videos of things that happened in the church uh, activities last year. Uh, There was a screen that we set up outside, and we all sat around the screen. But before the actual uh, slideshow started, there was this Star Wars-style yellow words, uh, and and the word is is crawling, the text is crawling up the screen. Uh, You know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, So at that moment, I'm sitting at the back of the screen uh, with my kids crawling all over me, I'm trying to read these words as they're coming backwards because I'm on the back side of the screen. I can't quite keep up um, as fast as they're crawling. Um, But I'm pretty sure what was happening is is this text was telling us a little bit about the history of our church and the things that have happened over the years, bringing us as a church uh, to the moments that we're at. These yellow crawling words were providing us uh, a brief background and a reminder of the history of our church. Um, But then after the introduction, uh, it cuts and it opens, right? Just like in Star Wars. It cuts to the opening scene, uh, and we enter the main show. Um, And we're used to that. In movies, in plays, or in storytelling, there's often this this section of historical preview, uh, setting the stage, setting the scene, but then boom, it cuts and it opens uh, to the first act 
And last Sunday, uh, Pastor Nick began our new series in the Gospel of Mark. Last week, we heard the first few verses of Mark's Gospel, which were the crawling yellow text. It was the preview, introducing us to the setting of Jesus when he appears on the scene in the book of Mark. We heard that hundreds of years before Jesus arrived, before the book of Mark was written, the Old Testament ends with the book of Malachi. And in Malachi, God promises that the name of the Lord will be great, that it will be revered beyond Israel and even among the nations. And then the very last verses of Malachi promise, and they say, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. That's it. That's the hard stop of the Old Testament. That's where the Old Testament scriptures left off for hundreds of years, with the promise of someone to come, and with the threat of utter destruction. So what we heard last week is that right where the Old Testament leaves off, Mark picks up, recounting how this new Elijah that we know as John the Baptist He came preparing the way for Jesus. He came preaching repentance from sins. And he came promising that a one, that someone greater than him was about to come. And so as we reopen uh, Mark 1 today, uh, we're going to see that we're now past the yellow text intro. The book of Mark has now cut to opening scenes, Act 1, Scene 1. And we're going to find our first glimpses of the king and of the kingdom that he's bringing. Here, Jesus proclaims the gospel and declares that the long-awaited kingdom of God is now finally at hand. And he invites the first disciples, saying, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And so here in Act 1, Scene 1, we're going to find that first, Jesus the king enters. Second, we're going to look at what Jesus the king is saying about fish. And then third, we'll consider this king who invites us to follow him. So first the king enters, then the king and the fish, and then the king that we're to follow. Now as the king enters, what we heard last week, when Jesus enters this, this first scene in Mark, he's baptized, and then he's approved by God. Then he goes into the wilderness where he withstands Satan's temptations. In his baptism, he is publicly identifying as the representative of God's people. He's beginning to take the judgment that they deserve upon himself. And God approves of him, saying, with you I'm well pleased. He then moves to the wilderness where he resists Satan, proving himself to be blameless, to be worthy and without sin. And he does this in stark contrast with Adam, who failed in the garden. He does this in stark contrast to the people of Israel, who failed repeatedly, and in contrast to us, who also fail repeatedly, again and again, to keep God's commands. So when Jesus enters in Mark, right away, he's identified alone as worthy and as the representative for his people. Then our text for today picks up, John the Baptist is arrested, and Jesus announces that now the time is fulfilled, That is, that that there's a previous era that's now come to a stop, and the beginning of a new era, 
The kingdom is at hand. The beginning of this new era is now here. It's begun. Then as the gospel of Mark unfolds, as we'll see today and in the coming weeks, this king is gradually revealed. The disciples and we as readers together, to gradually, together come to gradually understand a little bit more about this, this claim of, of the king and the kingdom. A little bit about what this new beginning and this new era is. So I want to start with just a few observations from our text uh, about, about what uh, this new kingdom is that's beginning. Um, we just sang, um, High King of Heaven, my victory won. The, the first thing uh, that we can notice about this king and this kingdom is that it's rooted in the king's victory. Jesus doesn't merely announce that a kingdom's coming, but he himself brings it about. It's his sinless life, his substitutionary death in our place, his resurrection from the dead, that are victories won on behalf of his people. Another thing about this new kingdom is that it now includes uh, the salvation of the nations. The gospel is going to the Gentiles. Just as was promised in Malachi and throughout the Old Testament, this time has finally come for the people from all nations to be invited to become citizens of the kingdom of God. And then we also see that this kingdom involves God's rule in our hearts. Our lives are no longer to be our own, to be lived for our own purposes. We're no longer slaved, enslaved by sin. We're no longer held captive by, by the, the consequence of our sin, of eternal death. We're no longer in despair with fear, without hope and purpose. But the victory of the king provides us with a hope and a purpose. The Holy Spirit is given to us now to refine us, that we might die unto our sin, and that we might manifest the fruit of the Spirit, becoming more and more Christ-like and displaying what's good. But even now, we have to recognize that this kingdom's not complete. While God is changing our hearts and our lives, we know that we continue to have sin. We know that we continue to desire sin. Moreover, we know that the world is continuing to be a broken place. The paradise that Adam lost in the garden was not restored fully in the New Testament. And it won't be restored fully until Jesus returns. Until then, sin and evil are going to persist, but they will not prevail. That's the promise of our king. And as Jesus the king enters, he proclaims the gospel of God, that the kingdom has begun, and he's calling people to do what? To repent and believe. This is the mark of his people, repentance and belief. He invites us to be citizens of his kingdom simply by faith, not by being perfect, not by being impressive, but by faith, by simply looking to him as our savior and turning from our sin. So when he says that the kingdom of God is at hand, this is a big claim. This is a theme that's going to continue throughout Mark, and I'm sure Pastor Nick will explore in the stories and the chapters that follow. 
But when Jesus makes this big claim here in Mark 1, um, he says the kingdom of God is at hand. And then he moves to the first proof, exhibit A, that the story of Jesus calling the first disciples, this is the first example that Jesus provides that the kingdom of God is at hand. And so that's, that's what we want to look at next. And as we move now to talk a little bit about this king and the fish, uh, we're going to ask, who is the one calling and what is he calling them to? Verse 16 says, Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. When Jesus says, I will make you, we need to take notice of this. This indicates that Jesus is the king coming with the authority of God. This is not just a casual prediction that he makes. It's not just a casual statement that he's going to do something. But it's a clear indication that we need to notice, taking note that the new kingdom, the New Testament era, is now here. You see, by saying, I will make you, Jesus is speaking just as God had spoken throughout the Old Testament. To Abraham, God said, I will make you a great nation, and I will make you fruitful and multiply. To the nation of Israel, he said, I will make you become a mighty nation. And then to David, he said, I will make you a great name as the great names of old. And so now Jesus, the Son of God, comes with authority speaking these very words of God saying, I will make you become fishers of men. And we we should do well to note that he does, doesn't he? He makes them something extraordinary. He makes them those who fish for men. See, these days we're used to stories of normal people going viral for for various reasons, sometimes silly reasons. Um, uh, Personally, I have a co-worker uh, who several years ago recorded uh, some videos of his baby son laughing. Um, and, and those videos uh, went viral. I mean, this, these are silly videos. It's just a baby laughing at, at different things. And over the years, they've racked up, I, th- I think it's somewhere in the neighborhood of 200 million YouTube views. They've been flown um, to go do interviews on TV, uh, to do commercials in other countries. Um, it's, just, it's just a silly thing. <laughs> We're used to seeing this in our culture, uh, in, in our day, through the technology that we have. But this isn't, this isn't what's happening with the disciples. We shouldn't be insensitive to what Jesus does, this extraordinary thing that he does with the disciples. Um, but Jesus says, I will make you, and then he does something spectacular. This group of previously unnotable fishermen don't just go viral for some silly reason. They become some of the most influential voices in the history of the world. Probably more has been written, studied, and talked about them than most of the kings and world leaders of history. Just a few normal fishermen. And so this promise that I will make you become fishers of men, 
is the inbreaking of this new era, this new kingdom that Jesus brings. And what is it? Essentially, Jesus is saying, it, it is a new time where he will rescue the perishing and finally rescue the nations. Making them fishers of men. It's not just a cute metaphor. It's not just an occupational shift of focus from fish to people. It's not that he's inviting them now to just be part of his team or his entourage. It's not that he's um, putting together some marketing strategy um, to get a bunch of followers. But in saying that I will make you fishers of men, he's inviting them to a critical rescue mission. See, throughout the Old Testament and throughout the prophets of Israel, the water is seen as the underworld. Um, this is, you know, back then, this is before marine biology. This is before uh, underwater cameras and, and um, Discovery Channel TV shows. This is before um, underwater lights. Back then and throughout the Old Testament, um, the water is seen as a place of darkness, of chaos, a place of strange creatures. And it's the place of, of judgment for sin. So to fish a person out means to rescue them from the kingdom of darkness. That's what Jesus is inviting them to do. This is a fulfillment of God's earlier promise in Jeremiah 16, 16 that he's going to send fishers to rescue some. Uh, in Jeremiah, God promises, saying, Behold, I am sending for many fishers, declares the Lord, and they shall catch them. And afterward I will send for many hunters, and they shall hunt them from every mountain and every hill, and out of the clefts of the rocks. For my eyes are on all their ways. So as we hear this phrase that we've heard many times, I'll make you become fishers of men, uh, we shouldn't just glaze over it, but realize what it is. It's a call. And it's a promise from God about this new kingdom, about this rescue mission that he's establishing. And it's about us. We are the fish. Until, until we are pulled from the waters, we live in danger of God's judgment for our sin. And just as Jesus promised, through the writing and the teaching of these disciples, the fishermen, we've heard the gospel of Jesus. And we have been invited to believe that rescue would come to us. And so for those of us, for those of you who are trusting in him, you are being rescued by the great king who came and gave himself that you would be saved, who reached down into the waters to pull you out. So I, I grew up in the Midwest. <clears throat> um, I grew up fishing. And so I grew up catching things like bass and bluegill, catfish, and, and if I was really lucky, uh, maybe a trout. Um, several years ago, we took a family trip to Florida. Um, 
and next to the place that we stayed, there was this canal just, just next to the, uh, just along the ocean off of an inlet. And um, we decided we were going to go fishing. So we put, uh, you know, strange to us as, as Midwesterners, we put shrimp on our hooks. Um, and we went out, and we'd stay out fishing in the dark uh, until 1 o'clock, just about every night. Because we were pulling out of the water all kinds of strange fish that we'd never seen before. We, we were surprised with every bite. Um, I, I remember the first thing uh, my brother pulled out of the water was, um, was a puffer fish with, with spikes on it, right? He pulls it out of the water, and, and all of a sudden it starts to expand and get bigger. And we have no idea what we're seeing. We have no idea what to do. And he's saying, what do I do? It's blowing up. It's blowing up. We don't know what to do. This is a puffer fish. We're used to bluegill. We keep fishing and we catch snapper with sharp teeth. We catch tarpon who start jumping out of the water every time they're on the line. We catch things like mackerel. We, we caught a monster snook and several things that I still don't even know what they were. We saw a manatee and we saw a dolphin. You know, just a few kids from Iowa fishing in the dark <laughs> We'd never seen fish like this before. And to be honest, not knowing what it was, I, I actually um, filleted and cooked an endangered fish. That was, this was before you could just Google things on your phone. And I say this silly story to share with you that, and to break, break our perception that our lives are normal. <laughs> we are not the standard of normal. When Peter and Andrew and James and John became fishers of men, they never would have imagined people like us, people who live where we live, 2,000 years later. They never would have imagined a white guy with a button-up shirt and shoelaces, zippers on his pants, living just north of the Baja Peninsula and preaching from a microphone about these exact words. Are you kidding me? This is what Jesus has brought about. And this is exhibit A in the Gospel of Mark, that the kingdom that Jesus has promised is happening. God promised to send fishers, and Jesus said, I will make you fishers. And look what he did. He did exceedingly more than anyone could have ever imagined. He said he'd make his name great among the nations and rescue fish. Look what he's done. Look what he's doing with us these fish. He, his promise didn't fizzle out, but it continues to come true all the more and all the more profoundly as the gospel continues spreading throughout the world. This king that we're to follow is the next thing I want to look at as he says, follow me. Verse 19 says, And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. If there's, if there's one thing, <laughs> this is silly. <laughs> if there's one thing I learned this week, uh, 
from watching a concert on Netflix. I'm not going to sing any of those songs. <laughs> but if there's one thing I learned, it's that people can, can relate to the deep emotion that others have let us down. And that we let other people down. And that this is something we need a solution to. And so what I want to say as we look to this king and as we're called to follow him is to notice that he doesn't let us down and he never will. We've noted that God is faithful to his promises to rescue the nations, to bring a savior, to send many fishers, and that Jesus is a king unlike anyone else. He's come on a rescue mission, proving himself to be blameless, to be sinless, and to be full of goodness. He suffered the torture and the shame and died the death that we, we rightfully deserve. And he's done this in love, all to rescue us from the dark waters and to bring us into the kingdom of his marvelous light, which will finally be realized when he comes again. And when he comes again, he will defeat and remove all evil. He'll provide us with eternal life in a new and sinless new heaven and new earth. And so, friends, as the king says, follow me, this is who he is. This is what he'll do. Recently, uh, an athlete nicknamed the king moved here to Southern California. And there's, there's plenty of debate. There's plenty of uncertainty, I believe, whether he'll live up to that name. Will it be deserved is the question. Is LeBron James going to prove to be the king? Is he going to prove to be the best basketball player that the game has ever seen? Will his achievements end up surpassing those of Michael Jordan? It's a different day, a different age, a different story. And there's, also de- there's so much debate and intrigue about this. Some of you might even have strong opinions. But no matter what, the point is that if he's going to be the king, he has to substantiate the claim by proving to be the best, by proving to be worthy of the title, the king. But for those of us who really don't care about basketball, we can just ignore this problem and this debate. We can be apathetic and indifferent, and it doesn't have any bearing on our lives. But we can't remain neutral on Jesus. His claim is ultimate. It demands an evaluation and a commitment by you. Is he the king? If yes, we better follow. Or we are in grave danger, eternally, in the dark waters. If not, if he's not the king, we need not give attention to his claim and follow. And so that's why it's so important for us to evaluate his claims and his promises. Have they happened? Are they happening? And I believe from this passage we can answer with a resounding yes. And so when Jesus invites us to follow him, what does it mean for us to follow him? I think we all know, we've all had times when we were doing things that we thought a parent or a teacher 
or a coach, um, maybe a supervisor at work wanted you to do, but then you found out you misunderstood and that you had the wrong idea. Even though you did it sincerely, you had the wrong idea. And so it's important for us uh, to note and to know what it means when Jesus invites us to follow him. And so as we start to wrap up, I just want to consider a few things um, about what this passage teaches us. What does it look like? What does it mean to follow Jesus the King? And first we see that, it's a, that the call to follow him is a call to discipleship, as we're going to see throughout the book of Mark. It's a gradual and ongoing process of becoming. When he calls the disciples to be fishermen, he doesn't instantaneously make them fishers of men. They don't know what's going on in the next few chapters. They gradually come to understand. And, and like that, uh, we instantaneously do not become perfect. We're going to wrestle. We're going to struggle. But we need not despair because, because the kingdom has begun and it's going to finally come when Christ returns. It's going to take us a long time and it's going to be painful. We're going to be frustrated with ourselves and with the world. But that doesn't mean that the promises aren't true. In fact, it's part of what he describes. The call to follow him is also not a call to just observe, but a call to participate as fishermen. It's a call to reach our neighbors. And this new part of the call is different from what, happened, what was happening in Israel. We're now reaching out to the nations and to our neighbors. We're called to be fishers of men, proclaiming the good news of the king throughout the nations. But being fishers is not being heroes. Jesus alone is the Savior. And before becoming fishers, we need to realize first, and, and while we're being fishers, we need to realize that first we're fish. We are the strange endangered fish that Christ has purchased by his blood. We too are those who have been rescued from the darkness of sin and out of a sinful world. The call to follow is also a call to live by faith and for Jesus' kingdom. And in faith, we lay aside pursuing our own kingdoms. Like it did for the disciples, the disciples following Jesus has implications for our lives. It redefines our endeavors and our personal economies. James and John left their father in the boats with hired servants. And this tells us that they were not just, as sometimes characterized, poor, ragged fishermen uh, with nothing to lose. But they were invested in a booming fishing industry at the Sea of Galilee. At that time, fish were being uh, exported. We know from history, fish were being exported from the Sea of Galilee all over the world, and the fishing industry there was booming. Uh, I don't know how they transported fish to other countries without refrigeration. Um, I didn't research that. But but we know that the fishing industry in Galilee was booming, and and they had a family business, a family business successful enough to have their own boat, 
family business successful enough to have hired servants. They, it's not that they had nothing to lose. It's also not just that they, they on a whim, left what they were doing. Um, we know that um, their following Jesus was carefully weighed and considered. Um, uh, the, other, um, the other Gospels tell us that at least uh, some of these disciples had met Jesus before, when, before uh, John the Baptist was arrested, so we know that it was before um, Jesus showing up here and, and calling them to follow him. So some of them had heard and, and had been familiar with Jesus before. And so they had an idea who they were following, and they had to carefully weigh that and decide that that's the direction they wanted to go. They had to decide to leave family behind, to leave the promise of economic success through fishing. Just like us, every time, uh, every day, hundreds of times a day, we have to decide whose kingdom we're going to pursue. Is it ours? Is it our success? Our notability? Our comfort? Our pleasure? Or is it the kingdom of God that has more value than any of these things? Jesus is calling us to a kingdom that's not yet fully realized. You've probably heard uh, the phrase, the kingdom has already begun, but it's not yet fully here. It's already, but not yet. Um, and right away here, we learn in Mark 1 that John was arrested. And we learn later on, John was executed. Jesus was executed. The disciples suffer. They're imprisoned. Many of them are executed. And that's the reality of, of the kingdom we're in, is that we continue to face resistance. And so when Jesus says, follow me, he is promising us an eternal victory. He's promising us his loyalty and his rescue. He's promising us triumph over sin and and triumph over all evil in the world. He's promising to never let you down. But friends, we do have to be clear. He's not promising us the path of least resistance for this age. Between now and between when he comes again. Those of us that follow him are going to face resistance. We're going to face trials and difficulties. He promises us in the midst of that truth and life and triumph. But we're still going to be in the midst of sin and pain, fear and grief. As the creation still groans and waits for its creator to come. Until then, we're still citizens of this evil world, this present evil age. We're still part of it until he comes in his fullness and his glory to save us. Many of you, I know, have been praying for for what's going on in China. uh, As the church there has has been facing um, a number of of changes in governmental policy and a number of crackdowns and even... um, a number of churches in, in, in a seminary related to, to many of our circles of friends um, has been heavily cracked down upon. 
And that's, that's the kind of thing we face. We don't face that exact thing here in our country. Praise the Lord. But those are the kinds of things we face in life, and we have to be prepared. As his followers were not promised the path of ease and success, a carefree path, but one that will face resistance, will face troubles of all kinds, evil, sickness, sin, hurt, tragedy, death, mistreatment. But in all these things, we have a king that we can cling to who loves you and who promises the hope of a new creation. We know that another fisher of men, the Apostle Paul, wrote, I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so even now, as he calls us to follow him, he doesn't leave us in these trials only to rely on our own strength. But he gives us his Holy Spirit to help us, to strengthen us, to comfort us along the way. He surrounds us with a family of believers who love and support us and encourage us. He, Jesus, is the king who has accomplished, who's proven, who has given us and has promised us something unlike any other. But the world is calling us to follow it in many ways. Every day we see ads, we hear leaders, we have bosses, we hear ethics and values, we have fleeting securities, and we're called to pleasures, etc., etc. And as these things continue to, to onslaught us and call us, we need to be reminded of Jesus' call, of who he is, of what it is that he does and what he promises, which are so exceedingly better than anything the world offers. We need to keep hearing his call so we can be prepared and resolved to follow well day after day. And we do that by, by seeing and valuing his kingdom above all others and above all else. And so, friends, consider what Jesus offers and provides you that he rescues you from the pit, that he gives you a true and everlasting hope, that he promises to conquer the, the despair and the trouble and the sin that you carry. So whether you've never heard and believed these things before or, or whether um, you've heard them and struggled like me to believe them every day, may we look to the Lord Jesus and to the rescue that he provides. May we turn away from the sins that entangle us and weigh us down. And may the Lord help us to believe and follow Jesus the Savior, the Son of God who is the King of all creation, who came and lived a perfect life in our place, who suffered death on the cross in our behalf, who rose again and on the third day will come again 
to judge, to save, and to finally defeat evil. He's the only one who promises to do these things. There's not another. And as we've seen, he's already begun bringing them about. So I urge you today to believe and persevere and rejoice that the kingdom of God is definitely at hand. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, that that Jesus, our Savior, has entered and he's come on a rescue mission for us, unworthy and strange fish, that he welcomes us into his kingdom, a kingdom that he's won. Lord, we ask that you'd guide and strengthen us, our children, our church, as we go out into the world. Help us to follow and to proclaim you well. We pray for your rescue mission here among us, throughout San Diego and around the world, and we ask, Lord, that many others would come to know you and to follow Jesus. We pray that in your strength you would carry us through many hardships and temptations so that we would prove faithful to you. We ask that you'd uphold your church, particularly our brothers and sisters in China and other areas around the world facing persecutions. We pray that your truth and your salvation would continue through them and through us reaching the nations and rescuing fish. For yours, O Lord, is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.